I like the way you're doing all the main parts of this, Becky. So you didn't have to do any work? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Not Another Whiskey podcast. If you are looking for old school chat about how whiskey can only be drunk in a dimly lit caves by an old bearded fella from the Highlands from a tasting glass made from chiselled cow horn, then you have come to the wrong place, my friend. My name is Becky Paskin and I'm guest co-host because the two guys you know as Mitch and Daz invited me along today. So how are you doing, fellas? All good? What an intro, Becky. Yes. Thank you very much for that. That, that was amazing. <laughs> it was it was as if someone had written that for you. Either that or you've listened to all our other episodes. But uh, yeah, I'm amazing, thanks. Thank you so much for, for helping us out on the show this week. Very cool to have you here. Oh, I've been a long time fan, uh, so pleased to be here, pleased to join you. Yeah, nice to see you, and as always, Becky, every time I've seen you, you've been wearing yellow. I think that's a fact, isn't it? Yeah. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I just don't change my clothes, I just wear I just have one jumper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a Steve Jobs. <laughs> yeah, I like it, I like it, going for that vibe, you know what I mean? In 30 years' time, people will be rocking the yellow, the yellow knitted jumper. Yeah, man. <laughs> That's it. They'll be calling it the Becky Paskin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how's it all going anyway, Becky? You good? Good, yeah. yeah. Um, loads going on at the moment. So, um, you know, start of the new year, things are kicking off, lots happening in the world of whiskey. It's super exciting just now. You know, you should do the, you should do the intros all the time, to be fair, because that was a lot better than Mitch's um and i and I, that is that is a fact um and i think everyone that listens will agree and it's great to have you on because you know i was thinking back actually we've we've known each other for quite a long time yeah don't know since when i think one of the first times we met was when we relaunched one of the highland park travel retail ranges do you remember was that yeah, on we, the cinderella cruise i think we were on a boat somewhere yeah. Was that the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the world of whiskey. Guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it was. And and actually, look, if we, you know, it's brilliant to have you on and 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 you know, there's so many things that we're going to talk about as, as we go through the interview and catch up and you know, hear about what you've been up to and things like that. But I wanted to give you a quick introduction, um, just so people know who you are and, and, and what your background is, and, and feel free to plug any gaps because we have done a little bit of research and, and you've you've kept us right a little bit as well, just as to what you've been up to. But you've been a, a food and drinks journalist pretty much your whole career in one way or another. And then you moved on to the spirits business in 2012. And that, Becky, is where we met because I started at Highland Park in 2012. You then uh, finished at Spirits Business as editor, um, and then you moved on to scotchwisty.com. I was a massive fan of that, and I thought the work that you guys did um, to bring up stories and people and great access to all things whiskey uh, was, was brilliant. And it was during that time that you went as a freelance spirits consultant as well and started to, I guess, broaden your wings, maybe out of whiskey, I assume, into other categories and into different parts of the industry. And then after that, um, you founded Our Whiskey. And we're going to come back onto Our Whiskey because I think it's really important. It's something that you're very passionate about, something that you've worked very, very hard on, and it's something that's going to continue to evolve 
um, and a really positive impact, I think, as well on the industry. So, you know, your um, your influence, I think, and your impact on whiskey, probably more in the last three or four years, is, has, you know, been felt in all corners. And you were at COP26 as a panellist with Nicola Sturgeon, right? Yeah, that was a big pinch me moment to be invited up to such a momentous event like COP26. I was invited by by the Scottish government. Um, So it wasn't even something that came from the Scottish Whiskey Association. This was an invite from the government to host a panel discussion at, uh, they call them pavilions. Every government has like a, it's like a trade show at COP. It was every government has a stand they call them a pavilion and then they host uh, dignitaries and they have discussions and things on the, on their stands and they asked me to host the panel discussion about the standard that the scotch whiskey industry is setting in terms of sustainability for the rest of the world not just in whiskey but in in other industries as well and on that panel we had nicola sturgeon First Minister for Scotland. We also had Karen Betts, who was at that time the CEO of the Scotch Whiskey Association. She's now uh, stepped down. And also Annabelle Thomas, who's the founder of Nick Meehan Distillery. And uh, they've just been certified as B Corp, which is amazing. So it was, yeah, a brilliant panel. And of course, it was all female, which is a rarity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whiskey industry to to have that. So yeah, absolutely brilliant. Brilliant yeah. opportunity. And that that must have been one of those moments right up there with this, you know, a pinch me moment when you're on a podcast with Mitch and Daz. <laughs> I feel like we're making history here now. Yeah, right yeah. Now, Honestly, we're gonna we're gonna change the world. But before we do that, um, what are you drinking this evening, people? Yes, let's get into that. Well, I'll start this off. I'm um I'm having a whiskey that I consistently put in my top five. Uh, a little bit of compass box hedonism. Ooh, what I'm going can. for. What about you guys? Uh, I I made a mistake. Um, last week, I was supposed to be on a tasting with the guys from Angus Dundee, uh, Tom and Towell and Glenn Cadham, and uh, I couldn't make it. So I've still got the samples. So I'm enjoying one of their uh, Tom and Towell Sautern cast finishes as a 16-year-old. So that is what I'm enjoying right now. Mm, how is it? It's really nice, actually. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that distillery. I like the flavour. It's quite malty. You know, it's got that nice biscuity quality to it. So, yeah, very pleasant and, and you know, le- lesser known, shall we say, perhaps than your classic Speysides. But it's a good distillery. I like it. Nice. Definitely well, underrated. What about you, Becky? What you what you having a little tipple of tonight? Well, you know, just, just before we got on this call, I made a very quick uh, last-minute TikTok about infinity bottles <laughs> oh nice so, so um the only whiskey i have on my table right i actually have so i have three infinity bottles um this is the i've got a decanter which is kind of cut crystal uh, it might be lead i don't know um but i don't drink whiskey out of this because it's awful i i just chucked a bunch of whiskey in there without even thinking and it tastes disgusting and it's purely for decorative purposes because it looks lovely um, and then i have two others one is purely peated single malt actually there's a little bit of unpeated in there because uh, the balance wasn't right when it was purely peated and then i have a unpeated which is everything else grain and sherry and stuff and i keep emptying this bottle very quickly and then refilling it again and it's always delicious so i'm gonna how does, that, how does a whiskey qualify 
to go into your infinity bottle? Is it literally just what's left at the bottom of the last bottle that just gets fired in? Or do you go, it would actually work quite well in that one. I'm going to put a little bit of that in. Yeah. Well, the, the, the good thing and the curse of being a whiskey journalist is that you get sent a lot of miniatures mm. to taste and to review. And once I've tasted and reviewed it, I don't need like the whole 50 mil. I will taste and review and I'm left with the dregs in, I don't know, 20, 40 miniatures of whiskey. And I don't really know what to do with them. So it all just goes in the bottle to be honest right. so it's the dregs of everything and there's there's whiskey in here that's uh three years old there's whiskey in here that's 20 30 years old as well so it's uh it's a mixture Sorry. i want to go back to your decanter becky so basically yeah. if someone comes around to your house and you pour them a whiskey out of that decanter then they know if, if they've listened to the show that you don't like them a lot right <laughs> If they've listened to the show, yeah. Um, you can also tell by how dusty it is. <laughs> <laughs> how grim it edgy. I mean, I should clean it more. Um, it's a beautiful looking bottle. It's just, it tastes vile. They'll know, they'll know upon taste. Yeah, I do, yeah. do you know, it really does give. I don't know if anyone's, if you, if you guys like start doing infinity bottles as well, but it really does give you this uh, awe for the skill of a blender. It's not an easy task. So Becky, let's talk about what you've been up to recently. Uh, a little birdie tells me you've been doing some uh, some big things with with our whiskey coming up, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. So uh, to give a bit of background, our whiskey is something that um, I co-founded in 2018. Uh, really, it started out as a social media movement to champion diversity and inclusion within the whiskey industry. As we know, whiskey has a very masculine image and a lot of the women working within the industry have found it quite difficult to do their jobs as a result of that. Uh, also, female consumers can feel quite excluded sometimes at tastings and events and maybe even getting into whiskey in the first place. And I think a lot of that comes down to how whiskey has historically been portrayed and actually even in modern day is still being portrayed as a, a drink that's purely for men and comes shrouded in all these rules and ways that you shouldn't, shouldn't drink it and what you should look like if you're a whiskey drinker. So we started this movement in 2018 and during the pandemic at the very start in 2020, I was seeing a lot of people in the industry losing their jobs, particularly in hospitality, going, some people being made homeless. And I thought, well, I, I want to try and do something. I myself had all my work dried up. I'd just gone freelance a couple of months before and had no financial support at all, had no work to do. And I thought, well, rather than sitting around on my hands, I launched the UK's first ever virtual whiskey festival, which in hindsight, like now we're so used to all these online tastings, but at the time it was the very first <laughs> that we've ever had. Um, and that raised, uh, the first year raised uh, 13, 12,000 pounds for the Drinks Trust charity. And I did it again this, uh, in 2021. And that also raised um, about 13 grand. So 25,000 pounds in total all went to charity, which I think is amazing. Really nice. pleased with that. Yeah, pretty cool. um, but in the background, I've been wanting to do something a bit more meaningful with our whiskey. And now that I'm no longer 
full-time employed at a publication. I'm not working at scotchwhiskey.com. I have been working feverishly on relaunching our whiskey. And now I'm just thrilled to share it with the world, what I've been doing. So the festival is no more. There will be no more Our Whiskey Virtual Festival. Instead, Our Whiskey is becoming a subscription club. So this is a whiskey subscription club. You get two whiskies sent to you through the post for as little as £14 a month. You get two 50ml samples. Um, all the whiskies are hand-selected by me. I will pick the best whiskies that I think are of a decent enough quality to go into those boxes. They will be different every single month and will be in, uh, introduced to everybody via um, virtual tasting. So having the whiskey makers live speaking to people. So still the, the kind of idea of what the whiskey festival was about. We're also going to be um, hosting a series of bespoke events and things as well. So there's lots of different ways to get involved with our whiskey. But at the very heart of it is this idea of diversity and inclusion. So we're committed to making sure we have a diverse selection of uh, whiskey makers, diversity of liquid, and really make it an inclusive space for absolutely everybody so our branding is really bright I have a rule of zero brown there was no brown in sight and it's it's just going to be a space that's just welcome to everybody and a proportion of the profits from our whiskey will be donated to the new our whiskey foundation which is a non-profit organization I've also set up I've been quite busy. <laughs> I've also set this up. So that's designed to uh, support and recognise and empower women working in the global whiskey industry. And we've got some amazing initiatives coming up for the foundation uh, actually being announced over the next few weeks. So you'll have to watch that space. Um, we've got things like mentorship programmes and uh, internship and qualification schemes and seminars and uh, workshops and discussions and uh, there's an online magazine there's yeah tons of stuff happening and the, the whole idea is based around well how do we how do we change the industry uh, for the better how do we make it more inclusive and I, I've always felt it needs a two-pronged approach we need to change it from the outside and from within so hence having our whiskey and then the foundation as well so yeah, plenty going on. Sorry, that was a very short. So, what have you been up to? Yeah, so I was looking at the press release before we started this, and you've got some some really big names within the the whiskey industry on board with this, right? Yeah, we have. So, I, I'm so grateful for the industry support. The foundation, in particular, is something that I wanted to be um, by industry for industry. So I've created an advisory board of industry leaders. So these are people who have, who obviously care about this cause and also have experience in different areas, whether that's uh, in terms of life experience, the area of whiskey that they're working in, the market they work in, and also what their network is like. So we've got people like um, Tracy Franklin, who's a whiskey educator based out in the US. She's currently doing a distilling program with Uncle Nearest and Brown Foreman. We've got uh, Jenny Norris. She's the um, former director of global communications for Shivers Brothers. Gronje Saunders is the global marketing manager for Glenfiddich and uh, Jennifer Robertson is the uh, founder of Spay PR agency. So they're all on board as advisors and that's going to be uh, bulked out a little bit as well. There are some other names that may or may not be announced um, very soon. 
but then we also have on our mentorship scheme, which is launching uh, just now as well. So that's open for people to apply for uh, the mentorship scheme. We've got some amazing mentors on board already. Uh, people like uh, Davil Gandhi, uh, he's the whisk maker at the lakes. We've got Paul Kletko, who founded Few Spirits, uh, Louise McGuan of JJ Curry, Simo from Milroy's, Dawn Davies at the Whiskey Exchange, um, Lou Bryson, who's the very well known whiskey writer, um, Ryan Chetty of Radana, uh, Mr. Lyon. Um, Nicola Risk of McAllen there's we've got so many people on board to to lend a hand to help the next generation of women uh, succeed in their careers and I just think it's wonderful that the industry is coming together in such yeah. a way that, for this cause I'm, I'm truly overwhelmed by it it's really cool I mean I, I um when I was at Edrington I had a, a men, I was on a mentor program I think it was the first one they ran my mentor was their director of malts that was the MD of malts uh, Susie Smith and it was brilliant you know it's such a great thing to do um and I think that you know if I was to give anyone any advice is, is don't pick someone uh who's who's similar to yourself you know pick someone that's really going to challenge you somebody that's really going to take you well out of your comfort zone um and it's something that yeah will make you think differently probably for the rest of your life you know I think if you get that relationship between mentor and mentee right um, it can be one of the most powerful things you can do. So, yeah, I mean, for anyone that's going to do it, they, they should jump on board, especially if it's names like that, you know, because that will um, that will be a massive influence on their career. I mean, this is just the start as well. You know, mm -hmm. this is we're launching with these names, but we're certainly open to having more mentors come on board. So even if, if anyone's listening, who's interested in becoming a mentor, uh, get in touch. And equally, if you're looking for someone to help guide you through whatever your goal is whether it's to get a, a promotion or to launch a brand or to um maybe move into a different part of the industry like maybe if you're a, a bartender and you want to become a brand ambassador whatever it is apply for a mentorship program and we will match you with the right person who can then help you achieve your goal um, they will take place over six months and it's it really is up to the mentor and the mentee in that relationship to how it's all developed but we're really looking at developing this program and, and trying and really wanting to make it a success das Mitch's whiskey news of the week so it's unquestionably the craziest week or two uh, that we've seen for some time um have either of you guys been to the ukraine no, never. no, no. I've been over a few times and and um, spent a lot of time with the the kind of whiskey lovers, uh, particularly in Kiev. And there's a, a, an amazing place called the Whiskey Corner, um, and these guys just do some amazing stuff. Great tastings, great food pairings, brilliant cocktails, and just amazing advocates of whiskey. And and I've met a lot of the whiskey lovers through through the Ukraine, particularly from from the Whiskey Corner and it's quite difficult watching what's happening over there, you know, and it's difficult for us to even comment on it particularly, but, um, you know, whiskey is a global thing and, and Ukrainians are particularly passionate about whiskey. Um, so I just thought, yeah, it's a, a crazy, a crazy thing to be seeing. Um, and I'm still speaking to some of the guys that are over there that are, you know, whatever it is they are. Um, and it's obviously not good, uh, what's going on. So our just, our, our thoughts are with those in the Ukraine. Um, and and obviously for those that we know, uh, we wish you well. You know, absolutely, yeah. definitely. 
This is a kind of news piece that caught my eye this week. And I don't know if this is old news or not, and if it just popped up or not, but Jeremy Paxman owns part of Nocnean. Did you guys know this? Like, no. I hadn't seen this before. So for, for those that maybe are a little bit younger than, than Daz and I, uh, you may not know who Jeremy Paxman is, but he's, he's now 71, believe it or not. I suppose you'd call him a, an interviewer. Of And he asked some serious questions to politicians back in the day, uh, very well known for that. But it turns out that he owns uh, a share of Nocnean, which is 0.6%. And one of the things he said uh, about this was, I've enjoyed a dram for more years than I care to remember. When the opportunity came along to get involved in a scotch that is made while taking care of the environment, I was keen to get involved. So obviously relating to the sustainability that, that Nocnean has, but kind of cool to see such a big celebrity involved in owning a little share of, of such a cool distillery as well in Scotland. Sensing a man crush here, Mitch. Uh, what, Jeremy Paxman? Yeah, yeah, so you didn't lose your type. <laughs> Can you imagine? That would be weird, man. Imagine having a, a man crush on Jeremy Paxman. Did you ever have a crush on Jeremy Paxman, Becky? Um, no. I, I, I did have to. Wow. No. Um, no. Anyway, this is a super exciting time for whiskey. We are actually in an unprecedented period for whiskey distillery openings in Scotland. Uh, we haven't seen this level of growth since the 1890s. Um, that is a fact. And it's it's wonderful to see a lot more investment going into uh, Scotch whisky distilleries and particularly in areas that are screaming out for funding and development. Uh, we've already uh, covered in previous episodes, I'll say we, I wasn't involved in that discussion, but <laughs> in, in previous episodes. You're really um, pulling this off, by the way. I'm just, just going to say, yeah. The guys have uh, covered, my co-hosts mm. have already covered the opening of, or the announcement of the opening of uh, Isle of Rasse Distillery's new distillery in Campbelltown. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce the name of it. I think, actually, no, maybe I will, because it will be funny, the Macrahanish distillery. It. Now, there is another distillery opening in Campbelltown, and this is super exciting because for years there have only been uh, three distilleries in Campbelltown, and there has to be a minimum of three in order for it to be a official Scotch whiskey region. But uh, it turns out we're about to ramp up to five with the Dalriata distillery again might have pronounced that completely incorrectly uh, and this is a new one from south star spirits um which i think is an evolution of north star spirits which was founded by ian croucher it's an independent bottler there's some amazing whiskey actually ian has a fantastic palette and he selects some wonderful whiskies a lot of them are award-winning um so this is a distillery Daliata. Its name is derived from the ancient kingdom that existed on the west coast of Scotland and northeast Ireland between the 6th and the 9th centuries, which is cool. Never heard of it before. Of course, Campbelltown is on the west coast, so a lovely place to take your name from. Um, it, it's going to be quite large. 850,000 litres of spirit a year is nothing to be sniffed at that's pretty big especially for a Campbelltown distillery uh, when you've only really got got three on the go the largest of which is um, Glen Scotia 
uh, and it's going to be uh, using locally grown, sorry, locally grown barley from Dundad Hillfort. And uh, yeah, so this area is, is it's, it's wonderful to see Campbelltown coming back to the fore of whiskey making. It, you know, it used to be a region at once upon a time, it was um, known as the epicenter of Scotch whiskey. And there were over 20 whiskey distilleries operating around the time that um, Alfred Barnard visited the region. And obviously a lot of them closed. Um, which is unfortunate, but yeah, it's great to see some investment going back into that region. And on the subject of uh, distilleries opening and investment in different regions, Isla is a, obviously Whiskey Island, is known for uh, its peated whiskey and having been home to some of the best distilleries in the world. There are there are plans for yet another distillery on Isla. This one's a carbon neutral distillery called Illy. I think it's called Illy, uh, and this one's going to be using wind, solar and hydrogen powering, uh, have a circular shape design um, inspired by uh, Bemore Church, which if you've been to Isla, you cannot have missed Bemore Church. Um, it's right in the planning stages at the moment, um, but depending on when it opens, it could be Isla's 11th or even 12th distillery to, to open because we're awaiting the opening of Port Ellen. Obviously, that's coming back online soon. Um, and Elixir Distillers is opening their distillery um, later this year, which is super exciting. But yeah, it's crazy, right? So many distilleries open in Scotland, right? That, that's the hard thing about doing the news on this podcast. You've got to constantly check for all these new distilleries that are opening up. And it seems like every week right now, we're putting out news about a new distillery. It's a hard life being, uh, being a communicator, isn't it, Mitch? When you've got to stay on top of the news. It's almost as hard as being a, an actual journalist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Moving on to our last bit of news. Um, this is kind of new, new old news. I think this came out a couple of weeks ago and, and we were meant to put it in one of the episodes, but I totally forgot. But the SWA released their 2021 figures on Scotch whiskey exports around the world. Um, so the good news is in 2021, the value of Scotch whiskey exports was up by 19%. Uh, to £4.51 billion. Pounds. And the number of 70CL bottles exported also grew by 21%, uh, the equivalent of 1.38 billion bottles. So commenting on these figures, chief, the new chief, chief executive of the Scotch Whiskey Association, Mark Kent, said, uh, the global footprint of the industry in 2021 is a clear sign that the Scotch whisky industry is on the road to recovery. Value and volume are both up as consumers return to bars and restaurants, people return to travel and tourism, and we all return to a degree of normality after a period of enormous uncertainty for consumers and business. So I think what Mark's saying there, reading between the lines, is that 2021 was a good year because 2020 was just utter shit for Scotch whisky because of COVID. Yeah. That's what I'm reading into that. But what I think is really interesting, what I want to discuss with you guys is when we look at the top 10 countries by value, which the SWA put out here. So there's an obvious one, right? The US comes in at number one and the US is always going to be a hard one to beat. I mean, you, you're looking at 790 million pounds worth of exports to the US. The closest country to that is 387 million, which is France. So, you know, it's, it's a huge difference between those two countries. And then coming in at number three, and we're talking about value here. Uh, number three is an interesting one, which I've seen a couple of times in the top 10 is Taiwan. Uh, and that was up 24.3%. So huge growth 
on Taiwan. And Daz, you and I were chatting about this. You know, Taiwan is literally all single malts, right? That's just all they go for over there. So hence that value uh, figure is, is, is way up for them. Number five, this is the one that, that blew my socks off, right? China is now in the top 10 for Scotch whiskey uh, exports by value. Um, it is up 84.9%. Their figures have increased by £107 million since 2020. That is insane. I've never seen China in the top 10. I think this is the mm -hmm. first time it's been in there. Um, another one that's another new entry in at the top 10 is now India. And that's been that's that's seen a growth of 42.9%, um, up to 140 million pounds worth of export. Uh, you know, going back to what we were chatting about in one of our episodes previously, Daz, on, on Indian whiskey, they were talking about the growth of, of whiskey over there and how it's just blowing up. Uh, interesting one to see how much more that figure would go up if that tariff of 150% on Scotch whiskey started to come down. I think then we'd really see that go through the roof, you know? Right, so let's get on to the subject that we've touched on a few times on the show and something that I know is close to all of our hearts, inclusivity within the whiskey world. Uh, you know, something that the three of us have been behind throughout all of our whiskey careers. Becky, I want to start with you here because, um, you know, the two of us are middle-aged white guys, and let's face it, within the industry that we're in, we get the biggest pass within it, um, you know. So I, I think it would be good to get your opinion on how the industry has changed since you've got into it and how far you still think it has to go, which is, I know, quite a, an open question to, to answer, but I thought I'd just start this off in quite an open manner and when we get into this a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly changed a lot since I started writing about whiskey. I mean, kind of started writing about it 15 years ago, really started focusing on it about 10 years ago. And in that time, I suppose when I first came into the industry, I was usually the only woman in the room at a, at a press launch or one of a few women at a press launch. I, I found it okay being a journalist uh, writing about whiskey. I suppose I was very open-minded. It was only really when I became editor of scotchwhiskey.com when I really felt difficulties in, in doing my job. Um, as a journalist interviewing people, I wasn't taken seriously. Amongst the readers of the site, I wasn't taken seriously. I got a lot of flack on social media. Um, a lot of readers questioning what my knowledge was. At whiskey shows, I was often mistaken for Dave Broom's PA when I was his editor. Um, I, I ran scotchwhiskey.com, but a lot of people assumed it was a man behind the site. People would come up to our stand at the whiskey show, uh, refused to speak to me because they thought I didn't know anything about whiskey. And then they'd ask one of the other people behind the stand who had roped in and tr I trained to talk about the whiskies that we were pouring to tell them about the whiskey because they were male. And I, so it, it, it was difficult. I think things, I, I would like to say things have changed a lot for the better. There's certainly a lot more awareness within the industry of these issues. I think the Scotch, Scotch whiskey in particular, I think the whole whiskey industry have always been aware that there's, it, it's difficult uh, market it's a difficult industry for women to be working in because it has traditionally been seen as the masculine drink we've always known about it 
we've all worked at whiskey shows and seen our uh, female colleagues being um, things being said about them being inappropriately touched or uh, being completely discounted and we always are there to be like are you all right and we all talk about it, it's like we'll oh, forget about him maybe we'll get you know whoever the offending person is kicked out of the show but that's as far as it goes so we're all aware that there's something happening but we just actually haven't done anything meaningful about it but I think in the last few years there have been some meaningful steps towards tackling these issues and as I mentioned earlier um, talking about our whiskey and what we want to do I think it's uh, a problem that needs to be tackled from the inside and out so we need to change the perception of whiskey being a man's drink amongst consumers and that's something that starts with brands and that starts with uh, inclusion within marketing. So including different faces. We talk about the modern face of whiskey and the modern face of whiskey is um, female, they're young, they're uh, different colors of different backgrounds, different sexual orientation, different, have different tastes, different preferences. It's not always the same cookie cutter, white guy with a beard, sat in an armchair, sorry dads. I'm just, I'm just describing You're killing me here. <laughs> hey, don't do a bit of a job, Becky, right? <laughs> um, and I think I think what's important is this isn't this isn't a movement to change whiskey's demographic. This isn't a movement to completely discount men from the conversation. We 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 need everybody to be on the same page to, to change the narrative. It, by including more people, we make whiskey more popular, more interesting. There's more money in the industry. We can open more distilleries. We can release more brands. We, there's greater choice, and not just in Scotch, but all around the world. And likewise, at the same time, you know, we need to look at what we can do internally as companies and as individuals to support the women working within our organisations. What support is there? I was speaking with a distillery recently who told me that they um, are setting the standard for the rest of the industry on inclusion and diversity. And I said, well, that's great. What, what policies do you have in place? And they said, well, we don't have any policies. We're just setting the standard. So, well, that's, that's not good enough. Mm, yeah. you, might, you might be a small player but you need to be doing something and you need to show that you're doing something. It's mm. not enough to just say, oh yeah, we're, we're setting the standard and we're helping everybody with the things that we're doing when you can't actually say what you're doing. You can't virtue signal this. It needs meaningful action from everybody involved. And inclusion, you know, I talk a lot about inclusion of women because is, you know, women are marginalised within the industry, but it's an it's intersectional as well. So we can't be talking about including more women within the industry without talking about all women or any any person who identifies as female. It's it has to include everybody. That'll take a long time, won't it? Because you've got some traditional companies, you've got you know companies that have operated for a long time in a certain way and I mean I, I, I think if I look at who's on the board and actually the companies I've worked for have had a lot of a lot of senior females from different backgrounds um, which is great to see there's a real mix of that kind of 
brand director level, you know, even into whiskey making and things like that. But where there wasn't a huge amount of diversity, and Becky, I don't know if you've done a bit of a, or you must have done a, a bit of an audit on who's on the board of these organizations. And, and actually at that level, there's no diversity <laughs> from my experience. You know, it was very white male orientated. Um, and I'm talking about pretty well-known companies with some of the most important brands in the industry. Um, and the board level diversity was very, very, very limited. It's, it's difficult to say what the board diversity is without actually, companies don't necessarily always divulge that, mm. do they? So, and as most companies are private. Mm-hmm. So they keep this sort of thing quiet. They don't necessarily talk about it, but it's um, an important thing to say is that women can also be responsible for uh, unconscious bias as well. And there are many women working in marketing and PR. And a, a lot of organizations will say, oh, we've got, you know, this whole campaign was, was created by a woman. It's created by a whole female team. That's great, but unless you're actually training people in how to recognize their own unconscious biases, you're going to continue having the same problems. And I've seen so many marketing campaigns that have really, really missed the mark that have been created by women. So even if we have women on the board, I think it's a great start. Don't get me wrong. I think it's brilliant. We need women in those uh, decision-making positions, but there also needs to be a greater level of understanding of why we need to be more diverse, why we need to be inclusive, thinking about uh, the bigger picture when you're creating a marketing campaign, what's the story that you're telling? How are women being portrayed in your marketing? Because if you just have, and I actually saw this from an American distillery just a couple of days ago, uh, a new campaign gone out in partnership with a whiskey club. And the uh, the image was of a woman um, in a scantily, a very small dress, high heels, faded into the background, and the man in a suit sitting on a table with his glass of whiskey and his cigar waiting for her. And you can say, yeah, great, that's including a woman in a campaign. You know, we're ticking a box. Maybe there was a woman behind that campaign. <laughs> but <laughs> the storytelling there is if you if you drink this whiskey, and you are male, you will be successful with the opposite sex, which, as we know, is a Portman Group no-no. And it's also saying to consumers, to anybody that sees that image, whiskey is for men, it's not for women. Mm-hmm. And that's damaging. And it doesn't matter who that's come from. Women, female marketers, male marketers, it's the messaging which is damaging. And I think there needs to be more education uh, within marketing departments uh, around that. And that is happening. I'm really pleased over the last couple of years, I've done a lot of work with a variety of different whiskey companies. And you you mentioned that you you think change will take a long time. I think it will on a general global sense, but the ball's already rolling. And I think there are lots of companies making meaningful changes, doing, especially the big companies all have diversity and inclusion uh, initiatives. They have year long programs dedicated to uh, internal training and communications and they're constantly reflecting and they're getting external speakers to come and present on uh, DNI 
training. It's, it's wonderful to see all of this. And there are specific people within organizations who are responsible for mm. making sure that the company is actually adhering to those policies, particularly in Scotch Whiskey, the uh, uh, Scotch Whiskey Association, just a couple of years ago, um, released its diversity and inclusion charter. So all of the Scotch Whiskey yeah. producers who are part of the SWA have agreed to a diversity and inclusion initiative. Mm-hmm. So they all have to step, they have to step up to the mark now. It seems um, like there's two, there's two big shifts, isn't there? Yes. Um, from five or 10 years ago, the two big shifts are, one is s- sustainability in, in terms of businesses just changing the way they have to do things for all the right reasons. And, and diversity and inclusion would, would be right up there with that in terms of, you know, where the focus is, how much in time and energy and resource are being, you know, put into solving some of these issues that that are clearly there um and and the the reason why i say it might take a long time for some companies is i think some of these companies will you know do some really really good work but there's some fundamentals isn't there um you've got to look after your staff with the right types of benefits and the, the right types of you know ladies who go away and have children you know that that's not consistent across the companies um in terms of maternity leave for example which is a fundamental, um, you know, and, and, and I look at companies like Diageo who are fantastic and you can split your parental leave and, you know, there's mm. different ways you can do it, but there's many other companies that still only have statutory maternity leave for ladies. And, and uh, yeah, I, that, I mean, I've worked for one and, and, I, and it's actually embarrassing. Um, I, you know, and, I, and I, any young lady that's coming into the company, I'm saying, look, just to make you aware, you might not even thought of this. This is what's happening here. And you need to know. Do you know what I mean? And and uh, I agree. That's I was a, yeah. a, a, a woman who uh, works for another large uh, whiskey, or not even just whiskey, as drinks uh, mm. producer in the UK, a large, large company. I was shocked when she said she's only on statutory maternity leave, so yeah. she has to cut her maternity leave short because she can't afford to be at home with her baby any longer. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's something has to change there. The government aren't going to change the statutory maternity pay. That's stuck. But as an industry, we can do something more. We can do something to help uh, not just women, but young families. Yeah. You know, this is, you know, I love the Diageo initiative with the shared paternity leave. Yeah, because Ervin Ervin took time off, didn't he? And and Mm -hmm. he he was in a great position to be able to do that. And I've got another close friend of mine, Ben, who works for them. And he took some time off and it was brilliant. And I look at that, I remember when I was at Edrington, the guys in the Nordics used to do it um, five or six years ago, they were able to split their maternity and paternity. And, you know, it's the, those are some of the fundamental things that I think, you know, as an industry, and when Mitch rattles off the numbers, successful industry and ex- export industry that's that's performing brilliantly, you know, really that's where you should be reinvesting some of that is, is into your people, make sure they're healthy, happy, make sure they've got good family lives, and they'll give you more, you know, ultimately is what it's about. So I want to look back and then forward here for a second, right? And, and Becky, I want to go back to kind of, you know, I, I think, well, all three of us have been in the whiskey industry for around about the same amount of time, right? For about 15, 16 years odd. And, you know, you mentioned earlier on that when you first started, it was predominantly male journalists that were in the room. It was the same for Daz and I. When we first started doing whiskey tastings, it was like to, you know, all the old boys in golf clubs, golf clubs yeah. 24-7. <laughs> that was it, yeah. right? There was there was never a female in sight when we did any tastings. But I think what's what's progressed 
in in my eyes is whenever I do a tasting now, whenever I talk to people, it's getting to the point where I'd like to say 50-50 male to female, but but not quite. It was getting that way in the US. I'd say it was at least 30%, maybe 40% for a lot of my tastings. So that was that's a positive that I see. What would you see 15 years from now happening? Are we still going to be having this conversation about how whiskey needs to be more inclusive? Bloody hope not. Now, I, <laughs> the Our Whiskey Foundation has been set up with an aim of hopefully one day soon becoming unnecessary. I want to be obsolete. I don't want it to be needed anymore because we don't need to give women that box to stand on. We don't need that equity within the industry because we are on a level playing field. Um, I do see changes, I do see positive changes and I think it's step by step, but we all have a part to play in this. And for the most part, we talk about, you know, the industry is doing a really good job and I rarely have any, um, anything negative to say about my treatment from the industry, very, very rarely. We have to do this within the industry and we also have to do it without. And I think in 15 years time, I, it's hard to say, I bloody hope that we get to the point where women aren't asked those stupid questions anymore. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that as more countries around the world start making whiskey, and we're seeing whiskey made all over the place, like Mexico, uh, Bolivia, New yeah. Zealand, uh, wherever you, you name it, a country's probably got a whiskey distillery. I think there's over 30 countries now. But as we are making more whiskey, I hope that that opens the door to more recognition of that anybody can know about whiskey that doesn't have to be the Scottish guy or the, you know, the white American dude talking about bourbon, that it can actually be anybody can talk about it in the same way, you know, you, a gin expert, what do they look like? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I do know, it's it, true it though. What does a gin expert else? look like? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I've always got a Hendrix ambassador in my head whenever I think about a gin expert. I always, I always think of Geraldine Coates. Like the Charlie McLean of gin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. It's well, a good, that's a good way to put it. I like that, actually, the way to think about it. Yeah. Everyone's got this view, don't they? Oh, I know what a Scotch expert looks like. And Charlie McLean might be one of the pictures somebody might draw. Um, what does a great gin ambassador, what does the perfect rum master look like? And it's, you know, the only one I've really ever spent a lot of time with is Joy Spence from Appleton's. And, and that's what I think of when I think of, you know, rum expert. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that's, uh, I'm, I'm sure if I went to different parts of the world, I'd get a very different response. <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone, that is it for another episode of Not Another Whiskey podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And chaps, thank you so much again for letting me co-host with you. Uh, hopefully I'll come back another time. Becky, you can come back anytime. Um, actually, if you want to do it next week, we just won't tell Daz about it and we'll do an episode together. <laughs> I am. Um, I will not be offended. Uh, in fact, I get to actually, write my I, own script. Yeah, yeah, you can write your own <laughs> script. And uh, I think people would see it as a massive upgrade anyway. Um, we're going to be here next week. I will be here, Mitch. You're not getting rid of me yet. And we have the legend that is Ian Miller, um, who was once upon a time distillery manager of 20-odd distilleries, I think, of some mm. something like that. You know, the guy has, 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 you know, so much knowledge, forgotten more than, than we'll ever know. Um, Becky, thank you so much for joining 
um it's been a pleasure having you as a co-host our first co-host quite fun isn't it thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure uh really enjoyed it and listen if anyone that lis- uh, listening is interested in following along with our whiskey you can join us at ourwhiskey.com or the ourwhiskeyfoundation.org or even follow us on social media at our whiskey <laughs> funnily enough yeah <laughs> clever that isn't it yeah <laughs> And thank you guys for listening as well. Um, just a little reminder to sign up for our mailing list at notanotherwhiskeypodcast.com to get some interesting news that we're going to be dropping soon. Uh, and also we've got another little favor to ask. So we've been doing some research into podcasts and we find out that it does actually matter if you get ratings for your podcasts. So if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Uh, please take a second to do us a huge favor and just rate the show. Five stars would be preferable, but I realize that Daz may take it down to two stars or so. so, so Take two and a half, mate. Yeah, maybe two and a half. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So use your discretion there. But no, if you could give us five stars, that would be absolutely amazing. It would help us out so much. Um, Thanks again for listening, guys. Thank you, Becky, so much for coming on. Great to see you. Great to chat to you. Hopefully we'll catch up soon for a drama in person. And until next week, guys, may all your whiskeys be golden and may your tasting notes read like a Robbie Robert Lewis Stevenson uh, novel. I knew you'd fuck that up. <laughs> <laughs> I always fuck the end bit up. <laughs>